0: There is a Jewish proverb that seems particularly appropriate for today. It says, God couldn't be everywhere, so he created mothers. The saying reflects the natural bond between a child and his or her mother that is part biological, part psychological, and we acknowledge that bond every year on the second Sunday of May. In a consumer culture, the best way to measure the importance of a holiday, any holiday, is in dollars spent. Christmas tops the list with over $140 billion. Mother's Day comes in second at about $17 billion, followed by Valentine's Day and Easter, somewhere around $16 billion. Sorry, Dads. Father's Day ranks somewhere between Halloween and Super Bowl Sunday. Today is not Mother's Day, and within the walls of this church, neither is it New Year's Day. We're celebrating the solemnity of Mary, Mother of God. Mother of God is the title we give her in the Latin church. In the Greek church, she is called the Theotokos, and in the Russian church, she is called the Bogoroditsa, the, they both mean something equivalent to the birthgiver of God. There are different ways of affirming a single reality that the divine logos was enfleshed in the Virgin's womb. Now we are a liturgical faith. The way a community worships is the surest indication of what it believes. The Church began praying through its doctrines in public liturgical life even before they were formally defined by the great ecumenical councils of Ephesus, Nicaea, and Chalcedon. No surprise, then... That the title Mother of God first appeared in the Eucharistic prayer in the Syriac liturgy in the early third century, and by the fourth century in the Divine Liturgy of St. James, still in use by Eastern Catholics. It was an affirmation that Christ, having been born of a woman, was both God and man. The resistance to that liturgical formula began with a few very simple, subversive. Questions. How could Jesus be God and yet be tired and thirsty and in need of rest, as the Gospels portray? How could God suffer and die on a cross? The attempt to answer these and other questions gave rise to a movement, a heresy called Nestorianism that challenged the title of Theotokos. Nestorians wanted Mary to be called Christotokos, the Christ-bearer. Now, this wasn't just a squabble about titles. It was an assault on the nature of Christ himself. Surgically separating Christ's divinity from his humanity meant that Jesus of Nazareth had two separate persons, one human and the other divine living in a single body, unconnected to each other by a single consciousness. Two different self consciouses then, coexisting alongside each other. It meant that God was not born, God didn't suffer, and God did not die on the cross. It's always been the Catholic instinct to replace bad theology with good theology. And this instinct was already at work in 431 when the Council of Ephesus proclaimed the Virgin Mary the Theotokos, the God-bearer. It's fashionable today to dismiss doctrines as hair-splitting word games that theologians play for their own amusement. But theology matters because words matter, and theology matters because faith matters. Careless theology, unhinged from its source in the liturgy, not only distorts the mystery, it also blunts the scandal of the Incarnation, in which, as we proclaim... An immortal God accepts the finite human condition and drinks the cup of human suffering and human experience to its dregs. Had Nestorius won that debate, the shape of salvation that we celebrate on uh, Christmas would have looked a lot different than it does right now. It would not have been divinity dwindled down to infancy, as Hopkins put it, It would have been divinity occupying space, separate space, in the body of an infant, merely a God-inspired man rather than a God-made man. So, St. Athanasius was right almost a hundred years before Ephesus when he said that God could not save what he did not assume.